You're listening to New England Public Media News. I'm Adam Frenier, and this is the shortlist, NEPM's Week in Review. First off, joining us today on the line, Matt Safransky, editor of Western Mass Politics and Insight. Thanks for being with us today, Matt. Great to be here. And making her shortlist debut is longtime journalist and author, Brooke Hauser. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks, Adam. Nice to be here. This week, Massachusetts made changes to its COVID-19 vaccine distribution strategy. More shots will be provided to regional sites, mobile clinics, and doctor's offices. The hope is to improve access to hard-to-reach populations, and starting Monday, residents can go to the state's mass vaccination locations without an appointment. Here's Governor Charlie Baker. By bringing the vaccine to where people are so that everyone knows they have an easy opportunity to protect themselves and their families, we hope to make this process more convenient, more accessible, and continue to add to the count of those who are already fully vaccinated here in Massachusetts. Several of the state's mass vaccination sites will be closing, although the one in Springfield is staying open. Matt, can this shift help Hamden County, for instance, where the full vaccination rate is at a state low of 29%, according to the latest numbers from health officials? I sure hope so. I mean, I think that part of the reason why we had the situation that we have is because there wasn't enough emphasis on trying to get into regional areas as 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 earlier as as could have been possible. I mean, we know there were supply constraints, but I think that there were opportunities to get into a regional situation much earlier and the governor did not take it. And that hurt us here in Hampton County. Brooke, will not having to worry about getting an appointment make getting vaccinated more attractive to some? Definitely. I think access is everything. Access and convenience and trust. You know, people trust their primary care providers. They trust their churches, their houses of worship, their community centers. And if they can't get to a vaccine site, the vaccine should come to them. Moving along, in Massachusetts, evictions are starting to return to pre-pandemic levels. Federal protections help in some cases, but a recent court decision has thrown that into question. The state is sitting on nearly a billion dollars in pandemic stimulus money, but only a fraction of it has been used for rent relief, and many applications for help are being turned down. Brooke, with the possibility of limited federal protections going away, what does the state need to do to protect renters? I mean, there's a lot of money that's supposed to be coming for emergency rental assistance to tenants. But, you know, speaking also about the national picture, there's one small glitch, which is that the money isn't getting to the vast majority of people in many places. The pace of disbursement has been very slow. Um, I think of it in some ways being not so different from uh, the vaccine story in some ways. You know, if vaccines are not getting to the vast majority of people in certain areas, are we going to punish those people because they can't get access to the vaccines and therefore can't be protected? Are we going to try and help them? Are we going to try and, you know, get them through this hard time? You know, COVID is a pandemic. Homelessness is a national epidemic and people need the protection. Matt, is there a compromise that can be found between keeping people in their homes, but also helping out landlords, some who are also struggling because of the pandemic? Well, there's certainly an opportunity, I think, if some of these funds have the sufficient flexibility to assist, you know, uh, landlords that might have onerous or or very strict uh, rules in their mortgages. I mean, you saw this into a large extent uh, in in commercial leases where, you know, they have very, uh, you know, strict rules about who and they can rent to and how aggressively they pursue rents, et cetera. And I think that the, the state could certainly step in 
for that. I also think that something that needs to be considered is can any of these funds be used to help people who are actually fighting the evictions themselves? Because Massachusetts does have fairly tenant-friendly landlord-tenant laws, and supporting people in that situation, I think, could be incredibly important uh, to keeping people in their homes. Turning to local politics, it's still several months before Massachusetts communities have preliminary elections, but in Holyoke, the field of mayoral candidates is already crowded. At least a half dozen people have joined the race to succeed former Mayor Alex Morse, who resigned recently after nine years in office. Matt, can we read anything into how large this field is shaping up to be? Well, I think the first thing you can read into it is just the fact that there is uh, a lot of interest in a truly open mayor's race. I mean, Morse won by beating an incumbent, so that wasn't a, a, an open race. And two years before that, you know, I, I think that his, uh, you know, Elaine Pluta, who succeeded uh, Michael Sullivan, who is not the Michael Sullivan who is currently running for uh, mayor, it should be noted. Uh, I, I think she kind of had like a, a next in line uh, vibe, and I don't want to take anything away from her. I'm not criticizing her in any way in saying that, but I think that that kind of, you know, undid a little bit of the ambition that might have been coming from other people. This is a completely open field. And there are a lot of people who are looking to be, you know, mayor who are looking to turn the page on the city in, in any number of ways. Uh, and you also have a number of Latino candidates, which I think is uh, significant for a city uh, with as large a Hispanic population as Holyoke. Brooke, clearly being a mayor in a pandemic is not easy. Of course, being a mayor, period, is not easy. Is there any surprise so many in Holyoke want to occupy the corner office in City Hall there? I mean, I'm not surprised, are you? Uh, it's been a year of so much upheaval and change with Black Lives Matter protests and response to police brutality, COVID-19, but clearly more change is needed. And it, it, to me, it makes total sense that a, a large and diverse crop of candidates is stepping up. You know, we were reading about Holyoke just had its sixth candidate, Gloria Caballero Roca. She's a longtime resident of Holyoke who's a single mother, an activist, and the first Latina in the race. Um, Matt, I think this was from your site that I was just reading some more about her. But, you know, personally, I think it's thrilling to see more mothers getting into politics, getting into the race, especially after such a brutal year for working mothers. Yes, parents, working mothers, especially, <laughs> I would say, um, you know, managing their children's remote learning, not to mention the issues around childcare, which is infrastructure, as we all know. I'm ready to see some people really talk to these points. And finally this week, Springfield's zoning board dealt a proposed biomass plant another blow, saying the building permit expired for the project. This comes after state officials pulled its air permit as well. Brooke, is this it for this controversial project? It seems like it doesn't. I don't want to you know, predict anything <laughs> here, but um, it honestly, this has been going on for over a decade, right? And it was starting to feel very existential, all this waiting. I'm talking about this legal battle over the project. Um, but after this, you know, first there was the ruling by the Department of Environmental Protection last month, and then now the zoning board ruling. It does feel like the final nail in the coffin for the biomass plant. It does. Matt, a quick last word. I mean, this was uh, the, the result that a lot of uh, um, opponents of the plant were expecting. They felt that the law was on their side as far as the Zoning Board of Appeals was concerned. DEP's ruling just made it 10 times easier for the ZBA because it was the same basic fact that they had not begun construction uh, within the time frame that they were supposed to. All right, Matt Zafransky with Western Mass Politics and Insight and longtime author and journalist Brooke Hauser. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to The Shortlist and EPM's Week in Review. Remember, you can catch us at any time, wherever you get your podcasts or at nepm.org slash podcast hub. I'm Adam Frenier, and this is New England Public Media.